context of our huge unemployment crisis in our country today, I googled and the 2019 figures in April said 29% unemployment in the country and 37% in the Eastern Cape. And so that particular reading should be really jarring to us. People need food, obviously. And here we have a statement from Paul that says in verse 10 of our reading, whoever does not work should not eat. But then we should be hearing what Jesus said in Matthew 5, and he said, give to those who ask. And from Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, it says in Deuteronomy 15, since there will always be some among you who are poor, I therefore command you to share your resources with the poor and the needy neighbor of the land. <coughs> and each of these statements immediately evokes questions, I'm sure, in your own minds as well. To Paul, we could ask, what if someone is willing to work but unable to find a job? How can we justify or justly describe what unable to find a job means? Or is there an age limit for work? Can you be too old or too young? Does simply being of retirement age excuse somebody from being willing to work or being able to work? Is there an ability consideration, be it cognitive or physical? To Jesus, we perhaps ask, give to everyone who asks, everyone? Paul said, I don't have to give to lazy people. What about that? Or what about if they're conmen, or drug addicts, or abusers, <coughs> etc., etc. And to Deuteronomy, we could possibly be asking, open my hands to a needy neighbor. Tell me, who is my neighbor? Difficult questions, given our context in South Africa. I want to talk about three different working scenarios, and all of them are true. When we were still at St. Albans, sometimes during the school holidays, Garth and I would take the opportunity to go down and help with the feeding ministry in Commercial Road there in the survey store. I remember one day when there were about 40 people in the queue waiting to get some bread and some coffee, and a well-dressed gentleman came up to me and asked me if he could speak to those who were queuing for food. I asked him why, and he said he was from an employment agency and that he had jobs at a company that needed three people for one week and that there was another company that needed two people for a three-week stint. I thought this was an amazing opportunity. Uh, for some of those guys, and I asked him how he would choose from all the people who would put their hands up. <coughs> he told me to watch, and that I was in for a surprise. Just before we said grace to start handing out the food, this guy was given the opportunity to tell the unemployed about the jobs he had available. I expected a rush of hands and a jostling and a pushing. Do you know, not one person availed themselves. Imagine being given the opportunity to work at a business for a week or three weeks. One could prove oneself and the next time they needed someone, you had a good chance that they would get in touch with you. But not one person grabbed that opportunity. It made me realize that while our unemployment rate is unacceptably high, there are many who want a job, but they don't want to work. <laughs> the second story. 
On that amazingly positive Facebook page, um, hashtag I'm staying, I, I know some of you are on it, I read about a young lady who had tertiary education but really struggled to find a job. When she was finally employed, she decided that she was going to be different. She viewed her salary not that she was being paid as per her job description, but it was what her employer was paying her for her time during working hours. This meant that unlike other staff who, when they finished their work, would sit around chatting or playing on their phones or on social media, she would go and wash dishes that needed cleaning in the kitchen. Or she'd go and tidy the boardroom or around the photostat machine or anything like that. She obviously stood out and it didn't take long for her to be rewarded for her work ethic and the attitude that she had. And then the third story is quite a personal story. It involves my dear dad. I grew up in PE and my dad was in management at the assembly plant at Ford in Spruindale. I remember the time when the Sierra motor vehicle was being assembled and launched. Do you remember the Sierra? It was a new shape. It was quite something. He was so proud of it. During that particular time, we saw him only on Saturday afternoons and Sundays if we were lucky. During the week, he left for work before we were awake and came home after we were in bed in the evenings. He worked so hard, but it was for that particular season that he pulled those long hours. Then in 1986, when Ford pulled out of PE, he opted not to move to Pretoria, but to go back to the family farm on the banks of the Kai River near a little hamlet called Bolo. His dream since he'd been a young man. While he ended up dabbling in farming by speculating with goats, sheep, and cattle, being a businessman, he soon involved himself in what was a small trading store on the farm. He saw it as a way to serve the rural community because it was far for them to go into Stutterheim to do their shopping. And then obviously they had to pay for their goods to be delivered back to their houses in the Transkai, which would eat up a lot of their pension money. As the business got bigger and bigger, he spent more and more of his time on the road getting stock from Stutterham because no business was prepared to deliver on those terrible roads. And then the deliveries for his customers used to take so much time. It was up into the Transkai, over hills, down dales, all over the place. It ate up his time. He never had time to spend with us as a family when we went to visit. He never had time to do things with my mom. He never had time to do things around the house or even to relax. Needless to say, the issues of his priorities became something we resented. And I remember some arguments and conversations around it because it was an issue. The irony of that is he was killed in that trading store and the door closed that day and it never ever opened again. All his time that he invested and all his energy that he invested there at the expense of his family and friendship relationships counted for absolutely nothing. So those are three very different scenarios, but three that are so real across the working scenario we have in South Africa. The first one, there are so many who are unemployed, but what is more frightening is that there are so many who are unemployable. I often get asked from people, please, can you help me find a job? And I'm very honest with them and say, I can't help you find a job, but I can help you draw up a CV 
or I can tidy up your CV and I promise to circulate it for you. It's very scary when people start trying to get information from a CV to see that some people have nothing to put on a CV. No skills, no work references, no achievements. And this is where our Nahoon community outreach is so important. To work with these men at upskilling them and instilling in them discipline, what it means to be reliable and to have a good work ethic. I know Josh and Etienne are looking for businesses who are prepared to give opportunities to guys just to upskill, not to employ them, just to upskill them. And maybe you know a business that would be prepared to step up like that. Or maybe you know someone who is retired that could impart skills over a week or two to people who def desperately need upskilling. The second scenario about the, the lady uh, on hashtag I'm saying is so healthy and yet so rare in our country. Possibly some here need to hear it because they're only doing the bare minimum at work. It's definitely a story worth telling to our teenage children to make them aware of the need to step up and do more than what is expected of them in the workplace where they will find themselves one day. What a fantastic attitude that lady had. Imagine if that was in the norm, that was the norm in our country, instead of the very rare exception. And then the story of my dad. Obviously there's seasons where work has to take the priority. But for one to continue to continually choose work over relationships is madness. Perhaps some here need to take a reality check on what their priority is when it comes to work and family. Perhaps some difficult conversations need to be had. But I want to tell you, as the daughter of a man who didn't have the balance right, it isn't worth it, even if your intentions seem right to you. Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians was written in about AD 51, just a few months after he wrote the first letter to them. In Paul's first letter, he explained to them, amongst other things, that Christ would return at any moment. Apparently some in Thessalonica misunderstood this to mean that they could stop working and simply wait for Christ to come back. It was for this reason that Paul wrote the second letter, in order to correct this misunderstanding. He began the letter by encouraging those who were still enduring persecution for their faith. And then he moved quickly to the heart of the matter. Paul explained that no one knows the time of Christ's return but they know that Christ will return. Therefore, in the light of Christ's sure return, Christians should leave, live lives that are beyond reproach. In our reading, it spoke about work, but work here is not limited to earning a paycheck. It focused rather on fulfilling whatever purpose God had called us to fulfill. If there's something good we can do, God wants us to step up. We have a duty to stand out as Christians among those we work with those we come into contact with on a daily basis, and then also obviously here in our church family. I know for many of us, work is tough. For me, trying to get service delivery for residents is tough. Teaching nowadays is really tough. Being in business where sales are low and chasing after creditors, is, it is tough. Being in a boring job, it is tough. But hold on to the fact that for this season at least, that you are where God wants you to be. And he has placed you amongst the colleagues you are working with for a purpose. 
and maybe that will help you within your tough situation. If you're not speaking into the lives of your, your colleagues in your workplace, then perhaps Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians also applies to you. We have a great friend at Lily Kirschman, and I'm sure some of you know her, Barbara Foss, a wonderful Christian lady in her mid-90s. I've had dealings with her carer recently, a lady by the name of Zolusa. And this is what she said to me about Barbara in a WhatsApp message, because we've had communication. She said, I've learned many things from her, and I think working for her is going to change many things in my life. We can't finish our day without talking about the Bible and Jesus. She is teaching me about prayer. And Barbara was telling me last week that because she can't see so well to read anymore, she asked Solisva if she was comfortable reading from the Bible for her each day. And this has resulted in deeper conversations between the two of them. And Barbara asked her if she had a Bible, and she didn't have one. And so Barbara has bought her a Bible. And at the age of 94, Barbara is still working for the Lord. It isn't about being too young or too old or too busy or too whatever. It's about living out our faith. At our Bible study group recently, we were talking about good works and that there are many atheists, agnostics, non-Christians who are involved in some amazing projects to uplift individuals and communities. It depends on one of two things. What is your motivation? Or who is your motivation? In other words, you can be a non-Christian and do good work and reach out to others. You cannot, however, be a Christian without reaching out to others and doing good works. In Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, he says, Warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. Always try to do good. And James too said, some people have faith. Others have good deeds. I say, I can't see your faith if you don't have good deeds. But I will show you my faith through my good deeds. And then tying it all in with the fact that we have so many unemployed people in our country and our city. Also from James 2, it says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? We do need to remember, however, that no one has been given the responsibility to save the world and care for the whole world. Our task is to care for someone near us who is in need. Jesus helped people one at a time. We obviously will not be able to care for everybody, but each one of us can care for somebody. This is the way to operate so that you don't feel totally overwhelmed by the needs we see around us daily. I have a friend who said she was considering retrenching her domestic worker at the end of the year, and then rather to use the services of butler and maid or a business like that, you know where you get a group of ladies that come into your house with mops and their own um, detergents and they whiz around and within an hour or two they're out. And maybe some of you are considering making a few savings by doing something like that in the new year. 
I would just like to, to think about the person you're planning to retrench or to put on short hours. Losing the income they receive from you might turn them from struggling financially to being destitute. And in our current economic climate, they're probably not going to find another job. So just as God wants us to show our faith by doing things, he also wants us to show our faith by not doing things too. Not swearing and being blasphemous, not taking shortcuts in our dealings with people, not living a life of immorality or being a busybody, and not retrenching somebody or making their short hours shorter because it will give us who are privileged a few extra names. All economists are predicting really, really tough times ahead for us. Let us not make the tough times so much tougher for other people. And then moving briefly to the Luke reading, Immediately before where Jenny started reading is the story about the widow who gave just two pennies into the collection box at the temple. It talks of incredible generosity even though the amount given in money terms was very little. Jesus was in the temple that day when the people were giving their offerings and he didn't single out anybody who gave more. He singled out the poor widow as giving more than all the rest who gave and that's what impressed him. The, bar, the disciples were also there. They didn't even notice that lady. She was surely on one of the lowest rungs of society, being poor and a widow. What they were busy talking about themselves was the grandeur of the temple. And without any emotion, Jesus predicted to them that the temple, which had been an institution for 500 years, would be destroyed. So many in our society today are striving to have more and more. Flashy cars, bigger houses, fashionable clothing, regular overseas holidays, and now doubt having tons of selfie photographs of themselves posing with all of these things. Like all temporary things that I've mentioned, none of them are important to God. Jesus told us what is important to him and he made it the greatest law. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul ultimately calls on the Thessalonians in his second letter and us to work hard if we are fortunate enough to have a job, to not be idle and meddle in other people's business, and then ultimately don't get tired of doing what is right. Don't get overwhelmed by the needs that you see. Keep on keeping on in doing good things. Make a difference to others wherever the need is. Never stop encouraging people around you. Don't ever give up on being kind. Don't be, ever give up also on being one who instills hope. Do whatever good you can, whenever you can, wherever you can, in whatever way you can, even if you don't feel like it or don't have. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, just as you cared so deeply about us that you sent Jesus to come and live among us and to die carrying the burden of our sins, we ask you to make us aware all over again that we are now your hands and feet on earth and that you call us and need us to care for others. Help us to be different because of your presence in our lives and help us to make a difference 
in the lives of others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.